If you could turn to 1 Peter, we're still going through 1 Peter right now. And, you know, I, me as a pastor, every time I open up the Word of God, you got to allow the Word of God to speak. Who knows what I'm saying there? And I, I, I've heard it said, well, you know, pastor, sometimes you just got to... You just got to pray because maybe God doesn't want you in 1 Peter. Maybe he wants you somewhere else. And listen, the word of God, I believe, when you are open it up, and even if you choose to systematically go through it the next year, if you open your heart up to it, God will speak. Amen? Do you hear what I'm saying? Okay. Now that said, going through 1 Peter... And reading through it, and I see how Peter, he keeps talking to people in persecution, and I'm just like, Lord, man, it's kind of a downer. It, it can be a downer thinking about that. But something that he says this week that, that is so important for us to focus on is our attitude in persecution and suffering. Who knows that your attitude matters? It does. And I understand it's hard for us to realize what it's like for them to go through these things because we haven't felt the similar suffering. But think about your attitude towards those who are opposed to you. And when we have this eternal perspective, that should change our attitude. It should. But we have this thing called the flesh. Right? And if we tend to focus on the short term, it is easy for us to be more reactive to the situation than maybe we should. You know, and maybe this illustration is a bit of a stretch, but recently I watched the movie The Patriot. Anyone a fan of that? older movie, The Patriot, and, you know, it's a, it's a violent movie, but it depicts the Revolutionary War, and in the movie, there are two different instances where a character is wounded, and in compromising his position, he's playing dead. Now, I, I can't imagine suffering the wound that they just suffered, and yet still being in the fight. You know what I'm saying? Where they're, they're like, no, I'm not dead yet. And so they're still in the fight. And at the moment the enemy is about to finish them off, the wounded turns around and kills that person. Now, it's that element of surprise, but it also speaks to a strategy of battle and remaining focused. And in both cases, they were focused on the final outcome. And I want you to think about that because it could be so easy in that moment to think, oh no, this could be the thing that takes me, right? This could be the one thing that changes my life for good. You know, how we can so much get caught up in those moments that we're not thinking about the final outcome, like our purpose in what we're doing. Scripture tells us to live differently, but also to have a perspective that is eternal. And so if we choose to embrace eternity, that ultimate finish line, and that God has the final say, then you can trust and know that the outcome of those who are in suffering is in the hands of God. 
You know, Jesus had this mind, this, this attitude in everything that he went through. And I almost want to call it a little bit of grit, right, to his attitude, where he had, he had this joy that he chose to take on even in the midst of hardship. Listen to Hebrews 12, 2. It says, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him. Do you hear that? He, he took it on because of the joy awaiting him. He endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Today, Peter is calling us to endure with this same perspective of what is awaiting us, what's ahead. So let's read. It's 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 6. 1 Peter 4, 1 through 6. It says, So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer too. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. I want to repeat that sentence again because I think it's something you need to kind of take note of. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. And you won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires, but you will be anxious to do the will of God. You have had enough in the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy. There are more immorality and lust, their feasting and drunkenness and wild parties, and their terrible worship of idols. Of course, your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things that they do. So they slander you. But remember that they will have to face God, who stands ready to judge everyone, both the living and the dead. That is why the good news was preached to those who are now dead. So although they were destined to die like all people, they now live forever with God in the Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we do ask today, Lord, there, there are many people in this room going through many different, difficult things. And so, Lord, when, when you tell us to have an eternal perspective, God, I, I understand that uh, that can be a challenge. So, God, may we understand what it means to walk through this life with joy and a proper perspective. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, in going through this section of scripture, there, there's something that stood out to me in that what Peter is outlining are some signs of maturity as a believer. And this is key. The first thing that he says is that you're finished with sin. Did you catch that? He said, be finished with sin. I cannot ignore something that, that Peter is indicating is a part of our maturity in being this follower of Christ. That if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. Now, I'm going to unpack this here in a second, but I, I, I think it, it stands out so clearly that it's implying that once you choose to embrace suffering 
set aside sin. You have realized there are more important things that lie ahead of you. You're focused on how to live for Christ and are no longer ruled by that sin that is in your life. Willing to suffer for the namesake of Jesus is a sign of maturity. But to get to that point, it requires us to be under examination. I don't know about you. I don't like being under examination. It's painful. It's difficult. Who liked when your teacher in grade school gave you a surprise exam? It's awful. It was awful. I, I, I remember immediately I, I got the nervous sweats, right? It's like, oh, no, I didn't even read, right? But if we, and this was my problem in grade school, if we give into comfort and this lackadaisical attitude, if we think doing things for God, it's too uncomfortable, it's too risky, or we have to forfeit part of the life we live, then ultimately our reality is we are being ruled by sin. Are you hearing me? You're giving into these, these fleshly comforts and you're of the things of the flesh. Now when Peter says, and, and I, I want to read this again, and I outlined it when we were going through it. He says, for if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. I want to be clear about this. This doesn't mean that you will never sin again. It means you have chosen to focus on God's purposes and are no longer choosing to indulge in sin. You hear what I'm saying? So we are choosing to remain open to the Holy Spirit and embracing conviction, I believe, is critical to walking this path. Who here says I'm a sinner? Okay? Something I also believe is a sign of maturity. It's not in my notes today. I'm stepping away from my notes for a second, but we're kind of talking about it right now. When you embrace conviction... When you choose to love it and recognize this is God's loving way of showing me the way I need to go, that's a sign of maturity. I hated it when I was a kid, right? If I did something wrong and then I'm being told I did something wrong, my natural inclination is to hate every moment of not just what's to come, but the future conversations from my parents, right? I hated those moments, but the older I have gotten, I have understood that this is God's loving way of bringing me along, showing me the path I need to go. If you'll remember something, Jesus shared that he would be dying a martyr's death. And the moment Peter heard that, he exclaimed, I won't let this happen. And there were many tussles that Jesus had with Peter in regards to this. And Jesus, ultimately, he gave Peter foreknowledge that he would even deny him three times. He, he just... Leave, he, he just abandoned the guy, leave him behind and forsake that he ever knew him. 
Now, Peter was still in his immaturity and not ready to suffer for Jesus at that point. It took some steps. It took some stepping out. The second sign of maturity. We're no longer chasing our own desires. See, even in serving God, I can admit I have my own desires from time to time. You guys too? Okay. So at the heart of having our own desires separate from the will of God, that's sinful. Listen to James chapter 4, verses 14 through 15. James says, temptation comes from our own desires which entice us and drag us away. These desires, they give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So it is important for our aim in everything that we do to be a servant of God that we choose to guard our heart in all things because our heart can be deceitful. But we can turn our heart, we can change our approach when our desires start to mend and mesh with what God wants. And here's the important key for you. Because many of you think, what if God wants what I don't? Here's the thing that I've found. Everything that God asks us to do in stepping into his will is a bit of a stretch out of our comfort zone. But when you start to step into these things, you'll realize God has instilled that in your life since the beginning. Since the very beginning, he has been instilling these things in your life. And so the moment you do start to step into his will and step out, you feel yourself being used by God and fulfilled and satisfied. Nate, I got to tell you, it's not easy going through what you're going through right now, brother. You know, but you, you had your job at DZ and said, no, 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 I believe God's calling me into police work. And you're going through those moments right now where it's uncomfortable because you're starting to discover what it takes to be a police officer. But once you start doing what God has called you to do, once you start seeing God moving in what he has called you to do, you're going to be fulfilled, you're going to be satisfied, and you're going to see that you are in and of his will. And so that's the third sign of maturity, is living for the will of God. Because it is important for you to seek what God's will and purpose is for you. Because I believe... God knows you better than you know yourself. He knows your giftings. He instills purpose. Colossians 1, 9 through 10. Listen to this. Paul says, so we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. It is fulfilling to do the will of God. And fourthly, 
I'm going to tell you, this is the one where, man, I'm still a work in progress. Abandon lustful living. And you hear that and you're like, hold on. I know the word lust. I know what that means. I, I want you to realize what this is appropriating to. It's not, it doesn't just appropriate to sex, right? Lustful living is, is many things. And you will either live for your own passions and desires and the things that you don't have that you want, or you can live for the will of God. Now, as Christians, we're told not to love the world. Listen to 1 John 2, 15 through 16. This is where I get uncomfortable, okay? Listen to this. Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. That convicts me. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure. A craving for everything we see and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. I, I, I want to be clear. Because others can obviously see when you clearly love the world, and sometimes they, you know, they waken us up to that. But only you truly know, as long as you're open to that examination, how much you are loving this life. Because I think to abandon the physical pleasures of this life and embrace our purpose, mission, and eternal hope, what we do is we have to recognize that there are things in this world we long for that we need to give up. I don't share with you all the times that I'm looking online at buying a new vehicle. But it's kind of shameful right? There are things that we naturally want, and, and you know, in and of itself, it's, it's, not, it's not that it's inherently sinful, but when we allow ourselves to be so tied to the things of this world, and our, our focus is taken off of God's eternal purpose, and his will, and what he wants us to do, then what happens is we keep opening up the door more to things that are decaying than the things that remain for eternity. You hearing me? That, that's important to understand. Now, once you choose to do that, once you choose to start living differently, Peter tells us, be prepared, because the slander is coming. Because others will notice a change in you, and they're not going to like it. You might like what you see, you might start feeling fulfilled, but others who still remain in sin or in a sinful life, they're going to see it and they're not going to like it. For instance, before I dedicated my life to Christ, there were things that I entertained and people I surrounded myself with that were living ungodly lives. And now I had been in the church my whole life, and so I developed these friendships that they were starting to, you know, regularly party with alcohol and things like that. And even though I never chose to partake in alcohol, I hung around them the whole time. And I could tell you, I could start seeing myself walking down the wrong path. But when I was fully drawn to Christ, I realized that those things that I was entertaining, I should have never welcomed in my life. 
Because once I'm around it long enough, I'm eventually going to give in. And so what I decided to do is I decided to start distancing myself from these things. And those same people started making fun of my choices. Now, here's the thing. You're not going to just find a worldly aspect or approach outside of the church. There are so many churches that have taken on a worldly perspective and brought in elements of worldly things to look similar. There was a show I was watching a while back. It was, it was a show called Tanked. It was on Discovery or Animal Planet. Anyone ever seen that? And basically, you know, they, they set up these big elaborate fish tanks. And this church in Texas decided we're going to put in a 30,000-gallon fish tank in our entryway, and it's got, it's got like these, these rounded parts that you can walk underneath, and there's like little sharks swimming over you and stuff like that. And they said, this is our monument to God. Say what? And I'm like, I... I Wendy and I were in the saltwater fish hobby for a while, and I'm like, do you realize how much money they just spent on a fish tank? I'm like, holy cow, that's ridiculous. And what we do is we can allow elements, and you know, inherently we can look at it and be like, you know, in the end, it's 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 not that bad. But I gotta tell you, it really takes our focus off of if we sat and said, what does God want? Right? What does God want for my life? It really comes down to us as individuals first. And then I think what happens is the the church when they align in unity of the spirit we're all on the same path but but when we allow ourselves to bring in these worldly aspects we're not being set apart as holy now when you choose to to do these things where you have you take on this eternal perspective there's going to be people that turn against you they might say things about you to paint you in a bad light. They might even make up things about you. I want to be clear about this. You're not called to hate that person. They are acting as a result of their sin. And they're feeling condemnation for the things that they do. Listen to what Jesus says in John 15, 18 through 22. We're really going to unpack this for a second. He says, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you are no longer part of the world. I choose you to come out of the world so it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. They will do all this to you because of me, for they have rejected the one who sent me. They would not be guilty if I had not come and spoken to them. But now they have no excuse for their sin. 
I want us to think about the way Jesus lived for a minute, even in persecution. When Jesus was put to death on the cross, he said, forgive them for they know not what they do. Now, sin in and of itself does not like to be outed as such unless there is a softening of, uh, 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 of their heart by the Holy Spirit. They're probably going to reject you. Now, I don't know if you have been rejected by anyone you love or care about, but this process of being rejected by friends, family, it is extremely difficult. But how, and this is the part I want you to take home, How you react can speak to who Jesus is if you remain sensitive to his example. This is especially important in suffering because our life can bear witness to God and it can bring people to him. Now church, you serve God's purpose by honoring him in life and in death. So by the manner of which we approach these things bears witness to who God is. Philippians 1.20, it says, For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past, and I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. This is a man who knew that his life was on the line each and every day. So with the right attitude, can you rise above the slander? We cannot allow the things that people say to change our faith. You can't. You need to determine now that you are going to honor Christ in everything that you do. And to truly honor God is to not allow yourself to be affected by the opinions of others. I want to talk about John the Baptist for a minute. That guy was odd. He was a little off. The man wore camel's hair and lived out in the wilderness, and he ate locusts and wild honey. By all accounts, he did not fit into cultural norms, and he didn't care. Do you realize something? When you are living for God and not worrying about what others think about you, it's freeing. It's freeing. So you should live fearless of the reactions of people and live fearful to a God who has say over your eternal life, right? See, God's the one we answer to, not man. And so it really doesn't matter the responses of others. You know, Wednesday night we had a great discussion in class Pastor Kelly brought up how the apostle Stephen was stoned. And Stephen, at the time, he was surrounded to be killed because people didn't like the truth that they put Jesus to death. 
And so he was sharing that message, and at that moment, what happened was God gave him a glimpse of heaven, and that's what Stephen chose to focus on while he was being put to death. Listen to Acts 7, 56 through 59. It says, and he told them, look, this is, this, they're stoning him. They're in the middle of killing him. He says, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. Stephen, even in that moment, recognized it was their sin that caused them to react that way. And he prayed for a hope of a change of their heart. To be able to live like that is to have these kind of blinders on where we're not allowing ourselves to get sidetracked from God's ultimate will and purpose. Because I gotta tell you that if I open the door to my flesh or my humanness, I immediately become fearful of what's going on. Or our mind might go, well, I need to take retribution. I need to take revenge. I need to just storm the guys that are after me because that's God's plan. Also, Wednesday night, we were discussing Mark chapter 14 and when Jesus was arrested and put on trial. And when he realized he was not being given a fair trial, he kept silent. And I want you to listen to the way Jesus responded when he knew he was being unfairly put to death. It says in Mark chapter 14, verses 61 and 62, it says, but Jesus was silent and made no reply. Then the high priest asked him, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated in the, the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. And I want you to think about what Jesus is really saying here. He's saying that you here are judging me right now. But in eternity, I will be at the right hand of God delivering judgment on you. Jesus remained focused on the outcome, God's ultimate outcome. And what Jesus knew, even unto death here on this earth, that he was going to be vindicated. And church, that's something that Peter stresses, that God is standing at the ready. So those who are against you, they might offer a temporal judgment on your life. But God is waiting for his eternal judgment. And so you and I, we need to trust this is something no one wants to face. I don't care what they have done to you. No one wants to face 
this without being covered by the sacrificial blood of Jesus Christ. And God's going to hold people accountable for their actions. And those Peter is writing to here in Scripture, the persecuted, God has a plan. Listen, listen to this, because you are sitting there thinking about people who have hurt you that in your mind you think deserve hell. I know that's where our minds go. And in Revelation, we read of the, these persecuted, these ones who have died. These ones who are waiting for God to enact his justice. Listen to Revelation 6, 9 through 11. And this is the English Standard Version. It says, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. Check this out. While God does place judgment on those he's promised to, like Romans 12, 19, he says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. He's telling us not to take revenge. Look, God's response to those who are being persecuted, those who had been martyred, his response was, here, here's a white robe. I want you to remember whose child you are. I want you to remember where you're at. I hold the outcome. And it's going to happen. But remember, you are in my grasp. I have control. Church, this is important for you. Even in your suffering and your persecution, if you're open to it, God reminds you who you are and that you are special. God knows exactly what he's doing. He keeps record. And so don't allow yourself to be caught up in grudges. Are you hearing me? Don't allow yourself to be caught up in bitterness or even being reluctant to minister to people because of potential persecution. Church, there is victory for those who have suffered for the cause of Christ. So don't look at your life and think of whether or not you're suffering, whether or not you want to suffer. And that, that's, that's the challenge of doing a series on 1 Peter, is even though it's a lot about suffering and we could focus our minds on suffering if we want to, We can't allow that to affect our attitude. Can't allow it to affect our joy. Christ, even though the book of Isaiah describes him as a lamb that goes silent before its shearers, when it comes time for him to enact his judgment, listen to how he is described when he starts to open up the seals. In Revelation chapter 5, verses 5 through 6, it says, But one of the 24 elders said to me, Stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. 
Then I saw a lamb that looked as if he had been slaughtered, but it was now standing between the throne and the four living beings and among the 24 elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which represent the sevenfold spirit of God that is sent out into every part of the earth. I want you to check this out. Jesus, even though while he was on the earth, he was led like a lamb to the slaughter, that when it comes to his judgment, when it comes to what God is going to pour out, that lamb becomes a lion, right? And so God is proving into eternity that he is victorious. And so you and I, where we can be so focused on the temporal, where we can be passive in our faith, this is important for you to hear. You can't allow these things to affect your attitude for the cause of Christ. Because if you are embracing this eternal hope, you realize that it's not about what's going on here on earth. This is a spiritual battle that we must face and we just must accept it. We're a part of it. It's where we are at. I want you to embrace it. It doesn't matter what comes against you on this earth. God's hand is upon you, and he's not going to fail you. But it's hard work to be fruitful. And we talked about this morning in the Christmas season, don't forget the reason you do this. Don't forget the purpose. That you were once destined for hell, you found joy, you found purpose in something only a Savior could provide you. There was nothing done on your own merit. There was nothing you did to deserve it. It was done for you. And so now you have found the secret and you can look with longing expectation for the future because you know that this world doesn't offer you what you're really looking for. So the ones that react to you with anger and malice, here's the reality. They haven't discovered that hope. They haven't discovered it. And I want you to remember, you were once that man. You were once that woman that was living without hope, that didn't understand those who had that faith. So you and I, we need to focus now, now that we've discovered it, to be like Christ, be like Stephen, that did not hold their deaths against the ones who were killing them. About a month ago, I, I want to make this practical. Kelton, if you could come. Um, people I have known for quite a while, and, and there's probably quite a few in this church that know him. Fred and Mary Lehman. Fred and Mary Lehman. Fred was a pastor in Open Bible for a while, and he had, he had ministered most of his life, and he would be the first one to say that he was far from perfect. Um, where they went to church, they, they had a Sunday evening service, and uh, it's actually my friend that pastors there. And church was dismissed that night, and they always went the same route home. But for whatever reason, that night, they took a little bit of a different route. And there was someone driving at an uh, excessive rate of speed 
and T-boned them, and they, were, they died almost instantly. And what's amazing about the story of Fred and Mary, and I, you know, Fred and Mary, they were, Fred was in his 80s, I believe Mary was in her upper 70s, and uh, the way the family responded to it has been so special. Because the family pleaded not to press charges and hold this young man accountable. And even, in fact, their daughter Lindsay said, you know, he is young enough that he has to live with this for the rest of his life. This guilt is going to be upon him the rest of his life. And church, you know, I, I know Christians that have a hard time getting to that point. It would be so easy to say, you know what? Charge him with everything you got. He took my parents. But to me, what's the greater message here? And so now all of a sudden, you have a family who's clearly hurting that has opened the door to minister to this young man's life. Ultimately, he might reject it. You know what? That's not on them. That's on him. And I want you to know that God's will and purpose for you is that the world will know him and what he is capable of through you. The world's going to discover that. And so you have to understand the spiritual battle that we are in, that you have been inserted into. See, you are not fighting against people. You are fighting against the evil that comes from Satan. So don't hold how people react against them. Praise God he has not held your prior actions against you. Right? Listen to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 12 and 13. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil, then after battle, you will still be standing firm. This scripture is not about going to war with those who are against you. It's about knowing who you're really fighting. Satan. And that is going to require a strength and grit that can only come from the Lord. In and of myself, church, I don't have it. But when I bow my knee to the one who created me, who has known me, and who knows what the outcome is, when I surrender everything to him, then I am able to fight the way he needs me to fight. 
And this is, this, is the, this is the tricky part about this message. I don't want to sell you on the potential suffering that you're going to face. I want to promise you, this is what I want, I want to promise you that there is strength that is available to you right now if you stand firm in God. Because if we read scripture, suffering, it's inevitable. Everyone experiences difficulties, amen? And so this suffering, especially if we're going to take on this suffering for our faith, that is inevitable by some capacity. Listen to what David said in Psalm 28, 6 through 8. And I just want you to close your eyes and, and just meditate on this. Praise the Lord, for he has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord is my strength and shield. I trust him with all my heart. He helps me, and my heart is filled with joy. I burst out in songs of thanksgiving. The Lord gives his people strength. He is a safe fortress for his anointed king. David wrote this under threat of being killed. And yet, he has the audacity to say, he helps me. My heart is filled with joy. Let me tell you what this season is about. Joy and true joy. It's understanding that I can't hold things against people. That's, that's their sin. That's, that's how they react. But I can choose to take on the attitude of Christ and live rightly. And what that requires is me putting my attitude into check and allowing God to fill me with his purpose, with his strength, and in turn, his joy so that I can go about doing his business. That's what this life is all about, church. And so this call is for the ones who have been going through challenges. You've had people against you. And maybe your heart has waned or it's in threat of not being that good representation of a loving Savior. And if you say, Pastor, I just need to cry out for strength from the Lord today to get me through, to help me stand as he stands firm. You say, I need that joy this season. Would you just stand to your feet with me? For those that have been going through challenges, do so unashamed. Raise your hands to God. Surrender unto him right now. Heavenly Father, you see us for who we are and where we are at. And Lord, it could be so easy for us as people to assume things about each other that are untrue. 
And Lord, we do not know what it is like to walk a mile in each other's shoes, but God, you have been with us each and every step of the way. And so Lord, as we stand here today with our arms in surrender to you, Lord, this is a response by what you are doing out of our heart. And God, I do not know the difficulties that they are going through today. But Lord, you do because you have been there with them. And God, as we lean into you right now, and your embrace of us, Lord, God, I pray for strength, this supernatural strength that comes from your Holy Spirit while you will pour out your might and power on them that they have the strength to stand against the enemy. And God, they will not see people as their direct enemy, but know there's a spiritual battle at work. And that, Lord, that we can look at them the same way you do. our creator, Father. God, you once looked upon me with mercy when I didn't deserve it and offer salvation when there's nothing I did to earn it. God, I pray that we can embrace this truth that, Lord, none of us are deserving of it. But, Lord, you have freely gave it, so we have freely received. And, God, I, I, I pray that we embrace, not just accept, but embrace that that is your purpose for all creation. So, Lord, may we love like you love. And may we express the right attitude even when the circumstances are challenging. Lord, I thank you so much for who you are and what you have accomplished through your son. And Lord, I pray that this Christmas season, we can make the main thing.